Howdy how, this is Aswi, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. I'm Aswi, and joining me today are AC. What's up, guys? And Eric. Put some pep in y'all's stuff. Yes, sir. <laughs> Eric's feeling himself after Anthony Davis suddenly returned to the Lakers and things are looking up maybe for the first time all season to the team that he started this year rooting for before he jumped onto multiple bandwagons. You know the vibes. Well, in defense of Eric, the one thing he's been consistent with is that he is always a fan of a LeBron James team. So I don't think his fandom of the Lakers went away. It just waned in its intensity. Am I right? Or am I just defending you for no reason? Oh, no, you're right. Like, I only like him as long as his teams are doing good. And I'll go elsewhere when they aren't. I'm consistent in my inconsistency and lack of loyalty. You got a serial adulterer over here. (laughs) Mr. Eric Forward. (laughs) Well, I know I'm feeling great because Embiid dropped 41 tonight, so I'm definitely riding the high, too. Did the so Knicks win last night? <laughs> you and I had the Grand same minds, idea. Grand minds think alike, Oswe. No, we had a horrible loss to the Cavs, so. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the Cavs are playing really well, and I do think the Knicks are playing better recently, but no, I'm not in quite the mood the two of you guys are in. But, guys, I do feel better about my Knicks right now than a lot of people in Chicago are feeling about their Chicago Bulls, even though they're currently sitting in second place in the East. And that's in large part due to what can at best be called a Bush League play by Grayson Allen taking down Alex Caruso and what you know, arguably could be called taking a hit out on a guy. I mean, he, he took a guy down from the air. When you guys saw that play happen, what was your initial thought? Let the bounty hunting begin. You know, when I was in high school, I played lacrosse. And there was one game that some jackass on the other team injured our goalie. He actually broke his arm by just whacking him in the arm so many times that it broke. When that happened, all of us were like, oh, that guy, if he comes anywhere close, doesn't matter if he's even trying to make a play on the ball or anything. Knock him on his ass. Make him hurt so he'll regret ever messing with our team. So your so coach be... basically was like John Cheney, send out the goon. Well, no, no, no. It, was, <laughs> it was it was not it was not John Cheney. It was not Sean Payton. It wasn't our coach. It was us, the players. So I do feel like the guy needs to be taught a lesson. I mean, listen, even Duke fans were outraged at what he did to Caruso. It was almost like he was uniting the Bloods and the Crips, like Lakers and Bulls fans united in their combined ire against Grayson Allen for his shit. So when I first initially saw it, I thought, okay, so at some point, the serial abuser who has been doing this at this point since he was a freshman at Duke. I don't know if you all remember, while he was at Duke, he had multiple instances of tripping players like purposely like literally putting his foot out in front of guys going full speed 
tripping them. He had a play that I saw earlier where a guy was going forward who had just got an offensive rebound. He like put his ass in front of him in a way to trip the guy with his ass. Like his whole repertoire in college was a litany of ways just to trip guys up, which of course we know athletes going full speed, the ramifications that can have as far as potential injuries. So to me, compounding that history and what we just saw where this guy actually fractured his wrist, I'm like, dog, at what point are we really going to punish him severely? Eric, there, there's tripping. And then when you look at those Duke clips, he looks like a Street Fighter character out there, like doing like the low kick. I mean, he's literally <laughs> swinging his leg out to try to trip these guys. It's not just stick your leg out. He's swinging his leg to get these guys to fall. Yeah, no doubt. Like, it's, it's times where you see guys who are doing something dirty, but there's still, like, some type of reasonable doubt that, okay, he might have accidentally done that. Grayson Allen is never one of those guys. When he nope. does shit... It's obvious it's with intention to give you a flagrantly hard foul. I mean, his face shows it all, right? Like, he has that fucking smug and that smug, yeah, his very punchable face. He looks like Ted Cruz. It's like, yeah, he really does. (laughs) He does. He really does. (laughs) And it really doesn't help. Like, you look like Ted Cruz, who looks like a blobfish. And and then you're doing this shit, and you have this perpetual smirk on your face when you commit the foul. It's going to take some, you know, bench warmer scrub who's going to have to come out there and take him out. Or maybe a send Steven Adams goon. guy. Yeah, send out the goon. When you're on a team and someone does this kind of shit to your, your teammate, the only fair thing is to retaliate. And then there's the other factor here, guys. The Milwaukee Bucks have had a really odd way of dealing with Oh, them. that was so weak. Yeah, so they they tweeted out basically a a video, for lack of a better term, of of Grayson Allen eating a donut and kind of dancing. And the caption was, good morning. Yeah, so this is the day after this takedown, and it was all over the social media, and so this is what the Bucks released. And then, of course, the news breaks not that long afterward that Alex Caruso is going to miss at least two months because of a a fractured wrist that's going to need surgery. And... The Bucks then kind of retracted this and they said, oh, actually, you know, they deleted the tweet and they, they came out there and they said that this was just a scheduled tweet. You guys believe that or are you buying that right now? It, it, gets, I, I don't worse. Know, it gets worse, AC, because you know what? They said, we don't agree with how the league has handled it, but we will accept the consequences. Therefore, it's like, what do you not agree with that your guys should get suspended for it? Honestly, it's it's classic weak Adam Silver just letting these guys get away with it. It's, it's basically Draymond Green all over again. Let a guy do some dangerous shit and then do a slap on the wrist at worst. So I do wonder at what point does the league take into account someone's history of serial like flagrant fouls? Because I understand in a vacuum just looking at in instances as individual occurrences. But... It seems to me doing that doesn't incentivize the person stopping this really bad behavior because if you don't punish them off of history, each time you'll have a situation like now where the guy gets one game and then 
he'll wait a couple of months or a year. He'll do some similar shit, and then you'll give him a game. And it's never like, oh, I'm actually punishing you to reform your behavior. So I'm, I'm just wondering where that gets taken into account. Yeah, you'd think they'd take it into account, right? But not only does this guy have a track record in college, in a summer league game in 2019, he got ejected by getting two flagrant fouls in three minutes. In the span of three minutes, this guy hit a guy on the head and tripped another guy and got ejected. So you'd think the league would know this guy's a problem. Well... It should be noted that the official suspension was one game. I don't think we actually mentioned that for those of you who are following along who might not know. And one game is laughable because this type of action, when you take someone and basically throw them to the ground, there's serious risk of affecting someone's career with this, right? And that might sound like an exaggeration, might sound like hyperbole to you guys, but literally in this situation, you had Alex Caruso having a career season And he's going to miss most of the rest of the regular season now, right? And his team, which is already suffering from injury after injury from everyone from Zach Levine to Lonzo Ball, who had this amazing start to the season, they're looking from likely almost certainly having Hope Court in the first round to possibly falling down into that fifth seed, you know, or or even below, you know, with, with a losing streak. So there are real basketball consequences, real career consequences to unchecked action like this. Yeah, I would have punished him alone off of fucking up the playoff seating of one of my marquee teams, honestly. like, <laughs> And I know this is going to come off, and I can see the wheels in AC's brain moving, thinking, oh, so this is you just because the Bulls are one of the teams that you've been bandwagon hopping, that <laughs> you feel some type of way about it. But, no, with all seriousness – I want the Bulls with that Chicago market to be one of the top four teams. I want as many home games in Chicago as possible. And this guy doing this jackass shit that he's done at least more than five times in the last five years, I'm coming down hard on you. One game is not enough. That doesn't send a message. But this this is classic Adam Silver wanting to be the player's best friend instead of being the league fucking commissioner. Like, it's ridiculous. We've seen him do this time and time again. Yeah, if David Stern was too heavy-handed at time with this punishment, I think Silver is taking it too far to the other extreme. There seems to be a desire from Silver to befriend his players at the cost of doing sometimes what's best for the league. And we've seen this in a variety of different areas. And just in general, when it comes to player discipline, Look, I'm someone who in general doesn't feel that excessive discipline is always the best solution. But here you have someone who's actually presenting a danger to other players. And that kind of conduct, you know, forget dress code stuff and and, and ticky-tack things like that. But real, actual harm that you're doing to your players, you're doing a disservice to the remainder of the players by letting this guy basically act without punishment. You know, it's interesting. Amari Stoudemire actually responded to the NBA only suspending him one game. And he said, I quote, that's weak, not enough. I got suspended for a game for stepping on the court. This was an intentional throwdown that caused a player to need surgery. Shake my head. Come on, end quote. To which Andrew Bogut replied, you might want to sit this one out, Amari. Because if you all recall, Amari undercut Bogut when he was going up for a, a layup or a dunk, which resulted in him seriously injuring his arm. But, you know, guys, 
I, I was kind of hinting at it before, but this really reminds me of Draymond Green and how the league has basically allowed him to get away with shit forever. I mean, literally, Draymond Green is basically like Craven the Hunter with NBA players nuts. Like he probably has a trophy room with all of them on the wall. Think, of, hey, think about it. We saying this man got a nut wall. <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, think about it like this, okay? Let's jump back to the 2016 NBA Finals. This man famously hits LeBron in the nuts and gets suspended because he got a flagrant foul. He got suspended not because of the shit he was doing, but because he had so many flagrant fouls that yep. it warranted a suspension. Meaning, soft-ass Silver sees what he's doing on a nightly basis and lets him get away with it. The man can bark like a mad dog at refs, and they don't do shit to him. So, Oswe, one thing real quick. Yeah. I'm just, I'm this one thing, and I think Draymond is a serial ball toucher. That being said, if LeBron had stepped over me like that, I assure you, I wouldn't have been grazing his nuts. He would have been in a hospital. <laughs> a hospital. That is the most disrespectful thing to step over another man. How LeBron stepped over him. I'm sorry. Tell that to Tyron Blue. <laughs> I mean, LeBron literally like walked purposely his whole body, like nuts just like over his whole body. Like, oh, oh, hey. Listen, listen. That's beside the point, right? The fact that Draymond Green, I've seen him do so much dirty shit over the years, and at worst, he gets a slap on the wrist. But the league never, and really Adam Silver, never had the balls to suspend him outright for endangering other players. I think what Oswe is hitting on here, though, is a pretty interesting point, right? Because there's this extreme misconception that NBA got rid of Draymond for this game to help LeBron or whatever else, and, and his action didn't warrant a suspension. And that's true in the sense that his action did not warrant a suspension. But the NBA put itself in its own box there because they have this flagrant foul accumulation rule, and Draymond hit that by virtue of this action that he did in the closing moments of Game 4 of the 2016 Finals. The fact that it came to that when... He had much worse contact that he hit for instance on Steven Adams in the Thunder series a couple of different times. Multiple times. And again, Silver dragged that out to the last possible second. So I think we we're seeing a pattern in Adam Silver's NBA of guys getting engaging, away with it. Yeah, guys who engage in the sort of conduct that's on the border or even basically beyond what's acceptable. You know, what's widely considered beyond acceptable. I think ball tapping should at the very least be considered not acceptable in the modern NBA. And yet we don't see any punishments for it. Draymond said it's his natural shooting motion. <laughs> <laughs> so then guys, also we brought up Draymond. So I, I gotta, you know, in, in honor of Grayson Allen's dirty play and with respect to Draymond and his infamous 2016 run that may or may not have cost his team a championship. What are some of the dirtiest players in NBA history? And we've already mentioned Draymond and Grayson, but besides those guys, let's look back through the many decades of this sport. Who are some guys that come to mind for you guys? The legend himself. The man who was so dirty a player that there is literally, and you can look this up, a Super Nintendo game called Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball. 
That is a real <laughs> game where you are supposed to play basketball, but like there's a button to like grab people or like punch them. Like it's a physical fighting game slash basketball game. That sounds so, awesome. How did I miss that as a kid? I mean, it was it was a shitty game. <laughs> That's probably why. But yeah, Bill Lambeer is like. You talk dirty players, he's probably on the top of everybody's list. They refer to him as his heinous or the Prince of Darkness. I mean, we'll we'll name a lot of dirty players in this pot, right? But this guy combines all of that. He has the the you know the Bacal clothesline. You know, most centers when they're trying to block a shot, they'll go for the ball. No, he goes for the person's head. You know, he'll grab them while in the air and throw them down, kind of like Grayson Allen but a lot more violently, and he just didn't give three shits, which I oddly respect at the same time. Bill Lambeer, it's interesting you brought him up because he's the only guy I can think of out of the guys we're going to name that when he got his ass beat on the court, there was like league consensus, like he deserved that ass beating. Yep. So that should tell you, on the, the scale of dirty players, Bill Lambeer was a inner circle Hall of Famer. For sure. Everyone from Barkley to Ewing, all the star players in the NBA that time, especially big men, of course, Michael Jordan as well, absolutely despised this guy to Eric's point. And the interesting thing about Bill Lambeer is he was actually a highly skilled player. This guy was ahead of his time as a three-point shooting center, but... <laughs> With the way that he played defense and his reputation, it's almost like none of his skill mattered to anyone. And he was just got this reputation as the guy who would go above and beyond. The other thing that separates Bill Lambeer is how intentional it all was, how planned it all was, how he thought about how he played with the media, how he basically would say he would do it and then he would actually do it. And he would do it to get a mental edge. And he would, he would talk about it, even to this day, very proudly talk about how he got under people's skin by doing this. And it, it's somewhat bizarre because he was a highly skilled player, but hey, he found an identity that worked for him. And it won him two yeah, championships. Won him so. championships and, and created one of my favorite historical teams, although a team littered with players we could put on this list. Yeah. Which brings me, guys, to another Bad Boys classic. Tell me a little bit, guys, about Rick Mahorn. Don't go any further than YouTube, which has multiple compilations of his fights or altercations including a seven-minute-long video with just his fights and altercations from the 1989 finals alone. So just wow. think of that. Just from one series, seven minutes worth of fights. He also had a foul on Dominique Wilkins that I saw in a video that was just like, dog, why would you do... Like, I just don't understand why he was allowed to foul people the way that he was. And I understand the, the league did punish... Rick McCorn. It wasn't as if they just allowed him to do it with impunity. But whether it was like Jordan or Dominique, it seemed as if he wasn't afraid to possibly hurt superstar level players, which usually I feel the hardest fouls are reserved for guys who uh, they don't really have much clout and in in standing in the league. So, I mean, I respect Rick for that. At least he doled his punishment out equally couple of Rick Mahorn stories that stick out to me. One, he and Bill Lambeer had this thing they called tap-tap, right? And that's like, <laughs> if someone was driving a little too much, scoring a little too much, they would just like tell each other tap-tap. And like, 
when the guy would go in the air, one would hit him one way, the other guy hits him the other way, and it often resulted in no more drives against the bad boy Pistons. So it worked, right? Second Rick Morin story, he had this thing that he did that he basically invented that then Dennis Rodman took. And this was when guys posted up against him, this man would grab the guy's ass as he was guarding him in the post, right? (laughs) And most famously, this came into play in the 1989 NBA Finals against big game James Worthy, where Rick Mahorn spent half the game grabbing this guy's ass. And the second he got out of the game, his protege, Dennis Rodman, would come in and do the same thing. And eventually, you know, and I can't blame him, James Worthy lost his cool and he got thrown out of the game. And, you know, they just have this mental edge over him because, for God's sakes, Worthy couldn't post up without getting his ass grabbed. So we're saying that, essentially, Mahorn and his protege, Rotman, made the cost of being a good post-up offensive threat is that you would get sexually assaulted. <laughs> if you, when you put it like that, I mean, it's pretty much true. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> that's why, that's why he's on this list, bro. Hey, it's funny because you you mentioned that Rotman was his protege, and Rotman was known for that too. But Rotman took it a step further. So of course, Rotman he had the colorful hair, and then he has all the piercings, and he he he's like taking like photographs and dresses. So then he's grabbing your butt. And then guys are thinking, okay, well, Rotman might actually like me. And that's another psychological edge there. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you you ever seen an infamous thing with uh with Rotman like telling like Alonzo Mourning basically that he looked good or something while 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 Alonzo Mourning was taking a free throw. And like you could just see how physically mm-hmm. just by Rotman saying that the Zoe. Like, physically, he wanted nothing to do with Eric, him. He- Eric, I'm pretty sure in that, he actually told Zoe that his ass looked nice. And that was what made him think, like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and we got to remember, guys, this is 30 years ago where these kind of things were kind of taboo and, and were not quite accepted as they are, you know, today. I think if that same insult happened today, it wouldn't be nearly as impactful. But back then... This would throw a dude off. You know, he's grabbing your ass. He's making these comments. Like, you're wondering what the hell's going on. You know, if I was at the free throw line, I'd miss the free throw anyway. But someone told me that, I would say, you're damn right. I do have a nice butt. Also, he's oddly proud of his uh, round tuckus. Oh, hell yeah, man. In high school, my friends used to say I have a Nicki Minaj ass. And it, they're not wrong. You know, I have quite the badakada. <laughs> I, I, I respect Eric. you for being so, like, proud of your, your ass. Yeah, hell yeah, man. If you had Eric. mine, you'd be too. I got to tell you something, Eric. So, a little story about Aswe. It's funny that Aswe's on a pod about the dirtiest players oh, yeah. in NBA history. It's ironic. <laughs> because if you've ever played basketball with this guy, and obviously you live in D.C., you haven't been able to ball with Aswe, he actually plays basketball like Mahorn or, although, or Bill Lambier. Although, although... Unless you piss me off, any damage that you might get from me is not intentional. I have a big body. You're throwing a pick on me. Universally amongst everybody I know who's ever played basketball with Aswe, he will take all kinds of cheap shots, intentionally or unintentionally. I'm not saying he's trying to injure somebody. This man has Unless busted my nose. Off. He has injured. He Your nose ran right into sprain. my shoulder. Your nose ran yeah. into my shoulder. He's, you he stepped do... on my foot. Not my fault. I mean, he All basically right. Bruce Bowen me. A guy we'll get to uh, on a jump shot. 
we we will play people in the park, okay? <laughs> and the other team will want to fight us. We basically every single time. Yeah. So he's one of those guys you want on your team, but good good lord, it hurts to play against him. You know, I will say though, you know, it may hurt you, but trust me, I I have bruises for days after I play basketball sometimes. But I will also say though. I do take quite a lot of pleasure getting under the skin of anybody I play against, especially strangers in the park. Like against your friends is you, you want to kind of restrain yourself, but I don't give a shit about random stranger X that I play against. And in, in the, in the park, the dude pisses me off. All right. Maybe I'll be a little bit more physical. Maybe I will channel a little bit of the bill and So yeah, I, I, the irony is not lost on me either. AC. So I mentioned Bruce Bowen. To me, when I think of dirty player, at least in my lifetime of watching basketball, because you know I didn't really get a chance to watch the bad boys live as they were going on, and even Rodman or guys like that, that was when I was a kid. But from when I can really recall basketball, dirty player equals Bruce Bowen in my mind. There's literally a move called Bruce Bowening someone, which means when someone goes up for a jump shot, you stand under their landing zone and in Bruce Bowen's case, he'd just stick a foot out and the guy would land on his foot and twist their ankle. This happened to so many players playing against Bruce Bowen. I remember one time Vince Carr tried to fight him because he was like, you've done this to me twice this year. <laughs> like how many times, how is that even possible mathematically, right? He just does intentionally. And let's not forget, maybe my favorite <laughs> defensive play of all time. When he became Bruce the, Lee. Yeah, the flying kick of Bruce Bowen on Wally Zerbiak. If you guys are not familiar with this play, please look it up. This guy has perfect martial arts technique as he flies in the air to contest a three-pointer with the sole of his foot and goes right into Wally Zerbiak's face. Did you all see this video by any chance play to ooh, what she said? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I've literally <laughs> seen that video over a hundred times. Me too. I'll just me watch too. it on loop. It's so funny. I mean, Bruce Bowen, he was a great defender in his time, but I feel like part of that reputation came from his dirty play too. Because he was so physical, I feel like in some ways he was the deterrent. Let's think about the the body count he has. His Bruce Bowen move has taken the likes of Steve Francis, Vince Carter, Allen Iverson, but then famously he kicked Ray Allen in the back, which I think, resulted in him getting a suspension oh i remember that that was it, like so uncalled for it's just like why are you doing this What's, it's like he's like trying to do a mortal combat finishing move on ray allen it was just completely uncalled for in the playoffs of 07 he needs steve nash in the nuts there was a one play in the 07 08 season when chris paul trips or dives for a loose ball or something and you just see bruce bro just kind of kicking him kind of like you know, in like one of those mob movies, they like kick a guy when they're down. That's what it looked like Bruce Bowen was doing to CP3 in the middle of this game. <laughs> you know what's interesting about Bruce Bowen, guys? So he has this reputation on the court of being kind of like a guy who's a goon who resorts to any tactic he can to win. Off the court, he comes across as a Carlton-esque type character. I've That's seen so him with true. bow ties. And that like, is so true. It, it just is so incongruent to how he plays basketball. Also, you mentioned Chris Paul. And that might not be someone that comes to most people's minds when they think of dirty players. 
But I think that over the last few decades, he has kind of developed a reputation as a dirty player. I think that we look at his skill and we think to ourselves, someone like that good should not be dirty. And, and we kind of almost ignore all the things he does. You know, he's also considered to be a flopper. So usually floppers are the opposite of dirty players. But he's both the dirty player who punches you in the balls and then flops as he's doing it. So the foul's on you. I mean, it's really, really ridiculous the extent to which he's able to manipulate referees. You said, AC, that he developed recently that reputation. That's a reputation that he earned when he was back at Wake Forest when he punched Julius Hodge in the nuts for Lord knows whatever reason, just like took a full roundhouse swing on his nutsack. Like, like he uppercut him, this, like legitimately in the nuts. Like, he's been doing this for now, two going on two decades. So this is a long history. He did it to Julius Hodge then. Last year, he did it to Ben McLemore in the finals where he did a, a more of a, a friendly soft tap on the nuts. So he's been doing fucked up, dirty shit for a while. Like his reputation has been earned the long way. Which is funny because he is the guy who was a longtime Players Association president. You know, he's a guy for the players and everything. Yet here he is doing all this dirty shit. It's a very interesting dichotomy. I got another one for you guys. So we're talking about great players like Chris Paul, a future Hall of Famer. I'm going to talk about one of the guys who's widely considered probably amongst the 20 or so greatest basketball players of all time. And that's Carl Malone. Carl Malone scored the vast majority of his points in his career in pick and rolls, particularly with John Stockton, right? But those picks that he set, he would swing elbows when he set those picks. You can look up YouTube videos of Carl Malone's elbows. So there were, there were two primary ways he'd do them. One would be, you know, on the pick, he would just kind of stick an elbow out at a guy's face. Another way would be when he got an offensive rebound, he'd just clear somebody out conveniently with his elbow just going right into their jaw. And, you know, it got to the point that guys around the NBA would kind of dodge that screen action a little bit, which let him slip a lot. And he got a lot of points just out of that, out of fear of his elbows on screens. Isaiah Thomas once got one of his elbows and he had to get, I think, like 40 stitches. But don't worry, Bill Embiid returned the favor and gave a good shot to Carl Malone afterward. But yeah, dude, his his elbows are legendary or rather notorious. My favorite thing about Carl Malone, because I think we all know, we've spoken about Carl before on, on the pod. He's an unabashed shit human being. Oh, I yeah. mean, I he think really it's consent. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, he was having a conversation about Blake Griffin getting hard fouls committed against him. And what was Carl Malone's response? Well, if Blake just uses the elbow, well, it'll stop. <laughs> so Carl is still unabashedly, even though the shit he was doing was real fucked up with his arms, he's still unabashedly content and saying to himself that that was the right thing to do and trying to validate it. That's Carl. Can I jump in with kind of a dark horse, dirty player from the same era? Okay, shoot. It's funny because off the court, this is one of the absolute nicest guys in the NBA space. But I have to say, Dikembe Mutombo is a little suspect. And the reason I say that is, in a 13-year span, 
he has 25 different incidences where he injured another player with his elbows alone. 25 incidences. That's ridiculous. Wow. That that came out of nowhere. I would never have guessed Dikemi Mutombo. As, I never would have thought that either. Yeah, someone who's committed that many flagrants or, or caused injuries. Yikes. Uh, I mean, that's surprising, but I suppose he's got big-ass elbows, so it's not shocking. In 91, he gave Ricky Pierce 12 stitches in the forehead. He made Robert Parrish hit the floor. He hit Chris Webber in 93 and 94. He hit Robert Ori on the head and made him fall to the floor. He gave Jordan a bloody nose in 96. He gave Charles freaking Oakley four stitches to the lip in 97. Anton Carr in 97 knocked senseless. Tommy Gugliota in 97, he gave him a broken <laughs> nose. Dennis Rodman <laughs> retaliated and was ejected. <laughs> in 99, Kevin Willis injured shoulder and missed several games. Also in 99, Chris Childs lost a tooth, gave Marcus Camby a shot to the throat. Larry Johnson a hit in the head. Same with Patrick Ewan, a hit in the head. 99, Christian Later cutting on the face. Lindsey Hunter, left eye injury. He broke the nose of both Mark Strickland and Jason Williams in 99. In 2000, he hit Billups in the mouth and required four stitches and fractured his front tooth. In, in 2001, he gave Corey Maggette eye trauma. Also in 2001, he broke both Ray Allen and Chris Child's nose. Then in the Eastern Conference Finals, he hit Vince Carter in the head and Vince Carter didn't return to game six after that. In 2002, he hit Vince Carter in the gut. In 2003, he hit Yao Ming in the throat, and he got a flagrant for that. And finally, in 2004, he hit Kenyon Martin in the eye, who then clubbed Matumbo across the arm for that. So <laughs> while we love former Sixer Dikembe Matumbo for the awesome personality he is, he does have quite a body count. Now, my suspicion is, is that... It's like me, just, you know, lovable, but sometimes we just don't know how big we are and people get in the way of our body when we're moving, you know? Did you all just not feel that the incidents between the Kimbe and Dennis Rodman was like friendly fire? Yeah, yeah. I also like how poor Chris Childs got multiple incidents. You know, this guy, Chris Childs, NBA career, known for nothing more than becoming a drunkard, Ruining the Knicks and apparently getting clobbered by Dikembe Mutombo. Listen, the, Wait, the Knicks ruined themselves. No, no blame on anybody, please. Wasn't Chris Charles the dude who uh, deuced Kobe up in a game that time? Is that? I'm actually not sure about that. I don't. I don't recall that. I would have loved. It that. was one of them guys. That. Okay, I'm. I'm. See, it's look, that's, it probably is. That's how non-noticeable his career was. I. I don't even know if it's actually him. I'm trying to give him something to be proud of. No, he was mostly a victim, apparently. I mean, holy shit. I'm actually shocked, Oswe, that Dikemi Matumbo has been ruined forever by you with that listing of his many transgressions that I don't think anyone here was aware of. Yeah, the cookie monster has his monster side, for sure. Yeah, he's the monster for a reason, right? <laughs> well, since you named Dark Horse candidates Oswe, who, honestly, I don't think any of us knew about the Kimbe, I want to name... Serge Ibaka. Ooh, 
Surge is a really good pick. Yeah, Surge does dirty shit. I've seen him swing on guys like when they're not looking. He's missed like three punches at this point that if they had connected, he would have really hurt guys in a, a Kermit Washington, Rudy Tom Jonovich-esque way. But luckily he's missed. Of course, and I'm never going to stop talking about it, there's the ridiculous foul on LeBron where he smacked LeBron multiple times in the face where LeBron's nose was broken. LeBron still finished the dunk because LeBron's great. But he somehow got away with that. And there are other times he just does stupid shit as far as like Oswald was saying being big and just not realizing how strong you are and hitting guys when they're going up in the air and just actually almost having near-death experiences for them. So I don't know. I just thought Surge would be an interesting guy to put out there. And that doesn't include... The one time I believe he served bull penis to Kawhi Leonard on his Cooking with Surge show or whatever his like <laughs> YouTube show is. That that's gonna be another transgression right there. <laughs> For sure. Exactly. Exactly. I can't believe they have not come up yet. And yes, I said they because the next guys that we're gonna talk about are the notorious Morris twins, Marcus and Markeith Morris, also known colloquially as the Morai. These guys, it seems like they're involved in a dirty play every other month or so. One of them does a dirty incident, the other one does an incident, and it kind of goes back and forth. Most recently, Markeith Morris was involved in a play with Nikola Jokic, in which Jokic probably responded unfairly back at him, in my opinion, actually injured him pretty badly. But this has been going on forever. We saw Marcus Morris doing it to Luka Doncic in the playoffs a couple of years ago. And they have a litany of plays they've made. And, and those are two guys that are, are so feared amongst NBA circles that guys don't really want to fight them either. So they have that reputation. AC, these twin brothers once both got ejected on the same night in two separate games. When one's on the Clippers, <laughs> the other's on the Lakers. They both got ejected. Yeah, they they take the twin thing to a place that's kind of disturbing at times. I mean, they have <laughs> they actually have exact matching tattoos, like exactly the same tattoo. Like you already share all the same DNA, and on top of that, you want to have exact matching tattoos. It's weird, and they have a shared bank account too, which is which is kind of bizarre. So, are we sure when one Morris or one of the Morai gets eliminated, his team from the playoffs, that the guy who's standing, the team gets to double dip where you can just alternate in and out Marcus or Marquis. Because I thought the Wizards might have been doing that a couple of years ago. <laughs> Are we sure that doesn't happen? It is the greatest conspiracy theory that I kind of like to entertain in the NBA. So Eric, you're basically saying that he's pulling a prestige where he has multiple. Oh, spoilers, man. All right, spoilers. come on, guys. The movie is over 20 years old. If you if you haven't watched it by now, too bad. But it is a bit of pulling the prestige. It's it's my second favorite conspiracy theory I have with Ray Charles being a person who wasn't blind and Stevie Wonder not being blind. What? <laughs> what what the fuck, man? That's just Oh, I never I never told you this? No. I've literally That's... seen Stevie I've seen Stevie Wonder on stage catch a microphone somehow when it falls. I mean, I've also heard of people bringing Stevie Wonder like big screen TVs when he's the only person who's going to be in the place that he's staying for a while. And I still want to know why Stevie Wonder would need a big screen TV or how Stevie Wonder can 
catch microphones that fall. You can't answer those questions, well, so I well, might be right. Well, well, um, I guess the bigger the TV, the bigger the speaker that's on the TV, so he can hear better. Maybe a smaller I, I think... TV can't project as loud or, a noise, or or Stevie just like a full panoramic view when he's watching his. You know, he's a Lakers fan, so when he watches LeBron, he wants a full panoramic view because he can actually see LeBron. This is a yeah. Our, our podcast officially jumped the shark in this episode. <laughs> I think that that is a very telling sign that perhaps. This is a good place to stop for today. We had a very interesting discussion about dirty players, and somehow that led to conspiracy theories. But, guys, this was fun. I'm just happy that somehow we went through a pod about the dirtiest players in NBA history, and none of you guys mentioned a single member of the 90s Knicks. I feel like that's a victory. That's a championship. I I think the fact that we didn't mention a single member of the 90s Knicks means it's already implied the whole fucking team was dirty, AC. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even your coach got into a fight and ripped his pants. So (laughs) that's right. That's true. So, yeah, I mean, look, I think that the the 90s Knicks in particular definitely deserve a deep dive. That is perhaps an episode we should do another day. And we can cover all of that. As a Knicks homer in the sense my home is in the area of the Knicks and I grew up watching Knicks games with you, I personally as a fan would love a a deep dive on that. So, you know, keep that in your mind. Any conversation you had planned for your 90s Knicks will definitely do justice to that in another episode sometime. But with that, guys, I thought today's episode was great. To all our fans out there, thank you so much for joining us in today's episode. We hope you had as much fun listening to this as we had recording it. Be sure to like, rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to contact us by emailing us at brownmanwontjump at gmail.com or on Instagram at brownmanwontjump. We'll catch you in the next one. And stay safe out there, guys. Deuces. Joel and beat MVP for sure.